Welcome back to another episode of Rent Free. I'm your host, Drew Vandemore, and I've got an awesome interview this week with former UMass defensive lineman Peter Angay. Peter is a great friend of mine and really appreciated him taking the time walking us through growing up and having immigrant parents, what that influence was like on his academic and athletic career and working his way through high school football and talking about his favorite memories from playing at UMass and even diving a little bit into some other stuff as well. Peter is originally from Silver Spring, Maryland and grew up in the DC area, went up to UMass for college and then came back down as a true Marylander would after finishing school. Peter was a great interview and I really appreciated him taking the time to outline his story for us. Without further ado, Peter Ange. I'm now joined by Peter Angay, former defensive lineman for the UMass Minutemen. Peter, thanks for taking the time tonight. I appreciate it. No problem, man. No problem. Good to be here. So I wanted to dive in with you on a you know variety of topics, everything from your junior and high school playing days all the way through your college playing days and just touching on some of the stuff you're doing now. So I figured we could start at the very beginning. What was it? When did you first start playing football? Who encouraged you to play football? Did you always play defensive line or how did that work? So, um, I think I probably fell in love with football when I was probably like seven. First time I ever even got into like the sport of football in general, I was watching um, the Vikings versus the Chiefs. And um, I'm a Vikings fan, by the way. And the reason that I am even a Vikings fan is because of Randy Moss. So, I saw Randy Moss make a couple of tough catches that game. And that instantly became my favorite player. So, football became my favorite sport. And the rest was kind of just history. But it's funny, like I said, Randy Moss was my favorite player when I used to play, like grow up playing backyard football and all that kind of stuff. Like I actually played wide receiver. Um, yeah. And believe it or not, my hands were actually like amazing. Like I swear, like, you know, they always try to make jokes that like linemen don't, you know, don't have any skills. But yeah, um, <laughs> that's really funny. Was it was it tough growing up as a, a Minnesota Viking fan in, uh, you know, Washington football territory? It definitely was. Um, I, I kind of, you know, I always felt isolated. I kind of still do because I still live in the area. But, um, you know, it, it was tough, man. But, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'll always support my team. Yeah, that's great. And so, uh, you know, as much as I'm sure you wanted to play receiver in high school, uh, you know, you had a great high school career playing in, in Maryland and I'm sure dominated on the defensive line. Just talk to me a little bit about that. What was it like playing playing in high school? And uh, did you always start in varsity or did you start in JV and work your way up? Yeah, definitely, man. So um, I started, so I didn't, to answer your your first question that you asked me, I didn't actually start playing organized football until ninth grade, um, until I got to high school. And, um, yeah, I, when I was growing up, I actually did martial arts, um, which I really think is what propelled me to have like such a successful football career for like, you know, always totally see, I could totally see that being really helpful, especially in the defensive line, the the hand usage, and especially your feet and all that stuff. I mean, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, you know, so my, my first two years, so I went to the the school, um, so I'm from Silver Spring, Maryland, just to give people context. Um, that's in Montgomery County and, um, the high school that I went to is Blake high school. Um, it's, you know, probably one of the best sport high schools, I think in the area, just like all around sports all year round. Um, so super proud of that. First couple of years that I played, I was on JV. Actually, I played, uh, defensive end and I played O-line um, in ninth grade and 10th grade. Um, wanted to go to to varsity in, in, in 10th grade. I was supposed to, but 
our varsity team had a lot of issues. There was a lot of politics going on with the, the, the head varsity coach. He was terrible. He was supposed to get fired at the time. Our JV coach was actually supposed to get the job because my sophomore year, we actually ended up going undefeated. So there was a lot of controversy about that. Like, like there would be more people at the JV games than the varsity games. So it was kind of like, oh, yeah. That's crazy. And so hold on. I want to back up for a second, though. You said you started playing in ninth grade. What sort of propelled you to want to get on the field formally? Was it was it you wanting to get out there? Was it you need to get your mom's permission or something? What? Yeah. So I think it's just it's a lot of things, man. It's like, um, you know, the reason that I even did martial arts, I, I did Kung Fu more specifically. And I think that my parents put me in that because I was a kid that had a lot of energy growing up. Um, and that, you know, you know, martial arts in general just is really good for structure, discipline, foundation, all those kind of things. Like a, a lot of things that would definitely translate to life. And I think that's probably the idea that my parents had. And I think that, you know, especially when you have like immigrant parents and things like that, like they're definitely trying to do things to keep you out of trouble and like have you stay grounded as much as possible. So I feel like that probably aligned with you know their core values more than anything um but you know when i got to high school what it really was is my my older brother actually played football for blake too and i think that i have always kind of glorified my older brother so i think that that is kind of what got me started and then i think athleticism kind of just carried me the rest of the way that's awesome and you mentioned your parents were you know immigrant parents where did they come from do you want to give a little background on that what context? Yeah, yeah for sure man for sure so my family is from cameroon um it's a country in west africa it borders nigeria a pretty popular country that a lot of people probably know so um, i'm from a, com- a country called cameroon uh, specifically my parents are from yawunde it's like the capital and um yeah you know my, my parents they uh they grew up there and then um my mom moves to New York, like in her twenties, and my dad went to VTech a little bit after that, and they kind of just hitched it off, and you know they moved here, and the rest was history. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so you know, obviously they're down in the Maryland area, and then you start getting uh, recruited after playing football your first couple of years. When did you get your first college recruiting letter? So listen to this, man. I didn't even get anything like of interest probably until. The end of my junior year, which was crazy. To me. Yeah, that was crazy to me, too. I mean, I would have thought that I would have because I, I the summer leading into um, my junior year in high school, I was I, I did like a whole tour of um, camps, you know, Temple, um, Nike, um, Spark Combine, all that kind of stuff. Um, Maryland, obviously, just like a whole bunch of schools that just kind of start trying to get my name out there. Um, you know, and had a really good season, man. I mean, like, I'm, I don't even remember what my numbers were, but like, definitely like double digit sack season. Um, you know, and in high school, we only played what nine games, 10 games, you know what I mean? So yeah, it, it, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a big deal for me. And I felt pretty hungry, um, at the time because, you know, being from this area, right. You know, we have, um, a lot of athletics and the public schools kind of get, um, I, I, they're kind of an afterthought compared to some of the bigger name schools. Like you might know, like you ever heard of a school called DeMatha? Yeah. 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 A lot of kids get recruited from DeMatha, a uh, big name from the area. Probably a lot of people know right now, like Chase Young is an example of a kid, the kind of kid that goes to DeMatha. It's kind of like a pipeline to like a power five conference schools, things like that. So you got DeMatha, you got good counsel. 
and all the likes, all those big name WCAC schools, you know, a couple of IAC schools as well. Um, but that's kind of really, you know, how a lot of things went here. So when I was at public school, it kind of made me feel like I had a chip on my shoulder, so to speak, and like that I had a lot to prove. And, um, you know, I don't know how familiar everybody is with the area, but in the uh, D.C. metro area. So we have, so you know, what we call the DMV. You have the entire city of D.C., you have the northern part of Virginia, like uh, Fairfax County, Tyson's Corner area. And then you have the part of Maryland that borders um, D.C. So that's PG County and Montgomery County. So, um, you know, like basically a 20, 25 minute radius. Um, and there's a something called the um, you, you know, everybody knows the Washington Post. So the yeah, so the Washington Post does something called the uh, All Met every year for the best kids in every sport for every season, you know, so. I think if you're from this area, like the, I think one of the goals, if, you know, obviously besides trying to become an All-American, the next biggest thing is to be All-Met. So, um, yeah, that was always a goal of mine. And it, it that was something I really, I felt really pissed off that it, it didn't happen sooner than it should have, but it did. But because of the accomplishment, because you made All-Met, you did start getting the letters. Do you remember who, which school sent you the first recruiting correspondence that you got? Yeah. Um, um, Western Michigan. And that was only because um, my JV coach, like I was saying, um, even after we had gone to varsity, we stayed pretty close in contact. And he was the one that had a connection that was able to get me noticed from them first. And um, going into my senior year, um, as I was transferring to a new school, I, I that was when I first started getting like some real interest. Um, so you so. transferred, sorry, so your senior year of high school, you transferred to a different school. What that into that decision was it just the exposure that you needed or were you looking for a step step up in competition what was behind all of that um for me it was just exposure because to be honest with you like I said I always felt like like the, the kids in the WCAC schools I didn't think that they were that much more talented or if even more talented you know I I really just think it was a more of a thing about politics and resources. You know, they just have better resources to be a better program. They're just more organized. They just have more numbers. Um, you know, just everything that goes into that, that makes the difference between, you know, um, a good program and a great program. Basically, you know, when you play in private school, then you play private school competition. And, you know, when you start playing against those kids that are in the paper every year, then people start taking notice a bit more. And uh, recruiters obviously do as well. So. Yeah, I mean they're all they're all going to the games because even if they're not originally there for you, right? They're there to see somebody else or make you know see whoever's on the field, and then obviously you know you make an impact while you're out there, and they're like, hey, who's that guy? You know, on the defensive line. You mm -hmm. know. So um, you got your first correspondence from Western Michigan. You transfer high schools. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you must have had a fantastic senior season. That's you know led to some additional recruiting opportunities. Who outside of UMass for a second, because we'll dive into them separately, who outside of them did you, you know, seriously consider from an offer and visit standpoint? Um, so I had my biggest offer outside of UMass, I would say, was probably the University of Ohio. Uh yeah. Bobcats in the Mac. Yeah, yep. Frank was great. Frank Solich, yep, nice guy. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Big shout out to Frank Solich, showed me a lot of love on my on my recruiting visit there. Um, you know, came to my house, even when he came to visit my parents, um, you know, so just a lot of love there and um, really liked them just because of how much love they showed me. And I thought they were a really good program. But, you know, so here's the thing, right? It's, it, this kind of goes back to 
the reason that I didn't even play football until high school, because like my parents, right. My, I mean, my dad did all right. He got a nice corporate job after he came here and he made it and this, that, and the third. So like for him, athletics wasn't really a priority. Like if in my culture, like it's all about academics, right. Ohio kind of was out. Cause it was just like academically, at least compared to like a lot of the schools in the new England area, like it, it's really not comparable. So. Right. And so, you know, they obviously, you got the offer from UMass and sort of just talk to me a little bit about that. Like who from UMass recruited you? Mm-hmm. Do you remember going on your visit? Like what was that experience like? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, yeah, I think about that like it was yesterday. Um, So first contact I ever got from UMass was when I was at Bullis. Bullis is the school that I transferred to my senior year, by the way. I remember just being in the library one day and my coach called me into his office and he was like, hey, there's a recruiter from UMass that wants to talk to you, you know. We're going to set up some time for you guys to have a little chat and see how it goes, see if you like it. They might want to offer you. They might want to have you want to visit or whatever. Um, it was a guy named Jeff Burris who actually ended up leaving there before I even enrolled in the school because he got a job. Yeah, I got a, he got a job being the DBs coach for the Dolphins, you know, so good for him. Yeah. Respect. Yeah. And, uh, no brainer, obviously. When I was there... <laughs> When I was there, man, the, the head coach was a guy named Charlie Monar, which if you are super into college football, you might know who he is, uh, but most people don't. His claim to fame was being Brian Kelly's assistant for a while. I'm not going to say too much because we only really had a season together, and I don't even think we really got that much time to spend together, so... But that, that, I don't think that first year was a great experience. I think specifically football wise with my teammates and stuff, that was great. But like, um, that, that was my first contact with, with UMass, but there was a lot that went into that decision outside of football too. Though. Yeah. And so let's sort of transition then. So we don't have to necessarily dive into your relationship with coach Molnar specifically, but just what was it like going up to Amherst and adjusting to college life and, you know, being away from home and, you're obviously still playing football, but, you know, what was it like just sort of getting out and starting to, you know, spread your own wings? Um, so I have a late birthday. So I've always been the kid that was like the youngest in my grade. So um, it was tough because I felt like a baby. Um, you know, I was 17 when I was taking my gen ed classes and I didn't even have hair on my face yet. I don't even think. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so it was it was rough, man. I mean, like that that first um summer away from home was terrible. And 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 you know, love UMass and honestly, I don't think it would have um I, I wouldn't have rather rather it happened any other way, honestly, because it definitely has gotten to me uh gotten me to where I am now, but when I was growing up, I wanted to go to the University of Maryland just because I love Maryland so much, like the the state of Maryland. Like I'm just a Maryland kid. Like I just love it here. So I just think like growing up being a football player here, that was definitely a goal. So being away from home and being that far away from home at that young of an age, I think that was definitely like a really tough transition for me. And I hated it. I mean, it was cold. There weren't a lot of people that looked like me around um, besides my teammates, really, if you know what I'm saying. So like, it was definitely an adjustment for sure. But I think that, um, you know, I'm definitely a firm believer in like the fact that being uncomfortable is a sign of growth. And I think that that's just what it was. I just had to stomach that for a little bit and kind of get acclimated. But I think that once I finally got my feet wet and the season started and I was like, 
a true freshman and playing, like actually playing in games and stuff like that. Like I kind of was like, you know what, this is kind of all right. Like I kind of, you know what I mean? And I, yeah. So very night and day um, from the beginning to the end, but originally, man, it was tough, man. Like I, 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 all honestly, no bullshit. I cried like my first, yeah, man, my first like summer I cried and like, it was funny too, because like I had just broken up with my um, high school girlfriend at the time who I dated like basically all throughout high school. So like, obviously we were really close and then, you know, we tried to make the whole thing work and whatever. It was just like a lot of things, like a lot of, like a lot of attachments to home that were really tough to get rid of. So, you know, it, it was good, but you know, um, yeah, it was a lot. And so you mentioned you played, I mean, obviously you had a fantastic career, you know, you played as a reserve in your freshman season and then, you know, wound up being a three-year starter. Mm-hmm. What sort of growth, you know, after that first season with, you know, the coach Molnar staff moves mm-hmm. on and you guys bring in a new group of coaches and a new, you know, staff for you, what do you think allowed you to really sort of take off your sophomore through senior seasons? I think that it was more of a being thrown into the fire thing. I think that, you know, respectfully, just because of where our program was at the time, literally just coming from double A, like the year prior to me even getting there, um, like the the class before me was the first 1A class that they had brought in. So I think that the depth of talent, like we had talented kids on our team, but like we didn't have the same depth of talent that like power five schools have, like you know, like Alabama's fourth string running back is as good as their first string. But with us, like if our if our starter is out, like the drop off is crazy. You know, I just think, like I said, just being thrown into the fire and just like not really having a choice but to grow and adjust. Um, because my seat, my freshman year, I had we had a a redshirt senior transfer coming from Maryland, and we had two three year starters that were playing on the D line already. So we had a huge group of seniors in front of me my freshman year. And then after they left, it was just like, okay, well, everything's on you guys now. So didn't really have a choice, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. And and you mentioned the the transition from one AA. You guys had, you know, a ton of sort of conference and uh, NCAA type transitions. So obviously you mentioned the year before you got there was when they transitioned from FCS to FBS. And then um, you were in the MAC for your first two, was it two seasons or three seasons? I think it was three seasons, if I'm not mistaken. You're, I in, think the Mac, you're in the MAC for your first three seasons, and then your last season you played as an independent. I want to ask, you know, what was it like playing in a conference like the MAC? There's a lot of really talented teams, and yeah. obviously you get to play on some of that Tuesday night action. You know, what, yeah. was, what was it like playing football on Tuesday and Wednesday nights? Oh my God, it was crazy. It was crazy. Uh, the MAC was crazy, man. I and and listen, everybody loves the power five. I love group of five because I have pride in it. Love group of five. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. The weekday games were crazy, and I'll and I'll touch on that in a second. But in general, playing in the MAC was just intense, man. Intense. You got a lot of kids that, if you think about the MAC, right? The MAC is kind of like a baby Big Ten, if you think about it, right? So you have a lot of kids who probably who got a lot of interest from Michigan, Ohio State, Purdue, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? But just didn't get that offer. Like, I mean, like, if the next kid that was going to replace them would have said no, they would have gotten the offer, you know? I mean, honestly, it's kind of just like the same thing as, like, me turning down Wake Forest because, yeah, you know, we'll touch on that later. But um, my bad, man. It's just it's just a lot of football memories coming back. I'm trying to just uh, focus. But Oh, you're good. 
Yeah, man. You know, the, the Mac Mac was crazy, man. Like I was saying, it's just basically is it's a lot of kids with a chips on their shoulders, pissed off that they didn't go to that school that they wanted to. So now that they, they go to these really good, uh, you know, group of five programs in the Mac and they're like, yo, we have something to prove. I mean, if you look at the Mac schedule, like a lot of those schools every year for like the first two, like, you know, warm up games and stuff, they're playing like against like uh, uh, Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State. You know what I mean? Like Bowling Green plays Ohio State like every year, I swear. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like um, that was crazy, man. But just a lot of scrappy play, a lot of shit talking, a lot of just gouging of the eyes and yep yeah really nasty stuff man i mean especially playing d-line obviously it was um it was a hell of a ride um it was cool too man let me give you a little a little mac story one of my one of my favorite stories about playing in the mac my freshman year uh i don't, I don't remember what week it was it was might have been the last game of the season we played at the university of buffalo yep and yep. there was a guy that played for the University of Buffalo that everybody loves, um, that's really talented, kind of goes by the name of Khalil Mack, okay? <laughs> we've heard of him, yeah. Yeah, I think we've heard of him, yeah. Um, yeah, super talented football player. Um, I remember, you know, we were watching the tape, um, trying to get ready the week before, and, you know, you know, this is in, like, the group, the group you know, like, team meeting, and then, like, they're, they're pointing him out on film. And then we got a we had an O lineman at the time that was probably supposed to go in the seventh round, like cocky as fuck though, you know what I mean? Like really cocky guy and just super like got humbled is what I will say. Um, and you know what? In retrospect, if you're gonna get humbled by anybody, Khalil Max not a bad person to get humbled by, man. <laughs> no, that's a great story. Yeah, I, I, not I a bad person to be humbled by. Yeah, yeah. I think he had like two interceptions against us, like two sacks, like crazy stats, like like play like national defensive player of the week type stats you know what i mean um but- i literally remember i literally remember like like khalil mack they played ohio state uh, everybody always talks about this game but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i remember being in college and we just randomly had that football game on and i was like who the hell is this dude like who's that who is that guy like yeah he, he single-handedly made so many plays in oh yeah every game that he played and you he just would win games it was yeah I had him and Indomitian Sue were probably like the two mm. most dominant defensive college football players that I've just watched personally, who the stats they put up and the influence they had on the game from just a pure domination standpoint, it was just so fun to watch. Nah, yeah, seriously. I mean, like, I will never forget us watching the film, uh, getting ready for Khalil Mack, and they showed the play of him getting the pick six against Ohio State. Oh my God. I, I, I was like that. I was like, that's who I want to play. Like, no, and not to make this thing about Khalil Mack, but he's actually one of my favorite players. And I think playing defensive line, you just respect people that play the same position as you. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Um, but watching him, that was definitely somebody I tried to emulate my game after, especially when we played them in person. We, even after the game, we played them just watching the film back, trying to see how he plays, man. Like I'll, I'll just never forget it. And you know, what's so funny about him in college, you know, you remember back um, when we were in college or when we were in high school and um, NCAA uh, football, the video game was a thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. So he, Khalil Mack in college wore like number 45 or 46 or something like that. I forgot what it was. And he said the reason he chose that number is because that's what his rating was in NCAA football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When he first got there, that's what his rating was. And, he, and that's what was his number was going to be. And I, I think that, that says a lot about the kind of guy that he is, man. So 
Um, you know, definitely always respected like great players like him playing in the Mac and, uh, you know, just really good experiences overall. And obviously all the big power five schools we used to play as well, too. That was all great. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, like you said, the Mac is a super competitive, fun league. I mean, even this past year, like, you know, Bowling Green beat Minnesota Mm -hmm. and and win that game. And, you know, obviously we talked, you talked about Western Michigan earlier when you were talking about recruiting, but, you know, they went to play Wisconsin a few years ago in the Fiesta Bowl. So, you know, a lot of good football played at the Mac. And I do, I have to ask, like like I said earlier about the Tuesday night, Wednesday night match and just, yeah. What was it like, like transitioning from, okay, we're on like a, you know, like Friday, Saturday, 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 all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, you're playing on Tuesday night on ESPN in front of the whole nation. Like, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's kind of the same concept as when like, you know, an NFL team like plays on a Monday night or a Sunday night, and then they have a Thursday game that same week coming up. It's it's just like a really fast turnaround. I don't even think we practiced like that before we played. One of the games that I specifically remember, I mean, there were a bunch of Tuesday and Wednesday night games throughout my career, but one of the games I really remember was a win at home against Akron. Yep. Um, that that was a huge game. Like it was like a, we wore all white at home. It was one of our first games that. Okay, just to give you some context. We were since we were a one double A program, right? When you move to one A, there's some compliance things you have to follow, and that includes the size of your stadium that you play in. We had to do a lot of renovation. My first two years at UMass, we didn't even play at our home stadium. We were traveling to Gillette in in Foxborough, or like right outside of Boston, to play our home games because that was the only place that would seat us and that would fit the seating requirements. So I remember playing that game against um, Akron and, and and it being one of the first home games, like I said, that we had played in the stadium in years, like a really good crowd came out, especially for being on a weekday, um, you know, and us not being like a crazy football school anyway, it, it was just a really good experience and super close game, really competitive and ended up winning at the last minute, like just very dramatic. Um, just great experience, man. Like crazy. Yeah. What like do you, would you say that was your favorite game that you played in, or do you have a favorite game? Especially, I'm sure there was a day, game that you just dominated, like you know, stat wise, or you dominated the guy that you went up against. Is there like, a favorite favorite memory, or even a favorite play that you can, you know, so you still look back on? And you're like, man, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are a bunch of plays that stick out. Notre Dame getting my first tackle at Wisconsin against Melvin Gordon. First tackle of my career was against Melvin Gordon. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, who was huge, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, we just, it was a lot, man, playing in the University of Florida. Penn State probably was my best game against a Power 5 school. I take that back. South Carolina at South Carolina my senior year was definitely my best game. Two TFLs in the fourth quarter in the same drive. Huge. Like, just really, like, not, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't play sports anymore. I took an Adderall that game, and I, and it, and it made a hell of a difference. Don't tell anybody though. Um, yeah, I, I the compliance office. Yeah, you know what I mean. But not just a lot of really good memories, man. But I think actually, if I'm being completely honest, I know I just said a bunch of shit, but Hawaii, my senior year, last game of the season, my senior year, cooked. I had two sacks that game in like the first half. Yeah, you know, I had a good game and up with like five or six tackles, I think, on, on the whole day. And it was my last game ever, last like organized football game ever. Really good way to end my career. You know, I, unfortunately, we didn't get the win. It was an extremely close game, but really, really good experiences, man. Tell, really me about, tell me about like, what is it like to play a football game at Hawaii? Like, how early do you have to get there? 
Mm-hmm. How, what does the travel situation look like? I mean, it's not an easy place to get to. I'm curious, you know, just tell me about like the logistics behind that. So the time difference from the East Coast to Hawaii is six hours, and it takes about 11 hours to get there. So just to give you a little context, the week before we played Hawaii, we played BYU at BYU in Provo. So we played BYU and it's a Friday that we actually played BYU, ironically. Um, so we had Saturday to kind of chill and recover. So we didn't actually check out. Normally, you you know, you check out the hotel as soon as you're about to go to the game. We actually right. went back to the hotel after the BYU game to get prepared to get on the flight to Hawaii. Since since we were already basically on the West Coast, you know, the flight to Hawaii wasn't too bad. It was like five, six hours maybe. That was crazy. Touchdown in Honolulu um, and put us up in the Waikiki Beach Marriott on like the 27th floor. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, oh my everything, God. yeah, everything paid for. Waking up to the sunset every morning, you know, having a lot of fun at nighttime. Um I'll leave it at that. And just, <laughs> just, you know, like, I mean, honestly, just imagine like a trip with your boys. Like, it's like your best friends, right? Because it's like your your teammates, when you play football, automatically become your best friends because you guys literally spend every second together, you know? All right. So just imagine that like your senior year, last experience playing organized football with like your favorite people, doing your favorite things, you know, just living life, man. Like, that's awesome. Really good times. That's awesome. That's fantastic. And, you know, you mentioned that being your senior year. So that was the last year when you transferred into your independence. And actually, you guys played a lot of those, you know, power five SEC teams really, really, really well and competitively. Yeah. When you look sort of now at the current state of of UMass football, obviously, you're coming up a win. And we'll talk about that in a second over my UConn Huskies. But what do you think maybe has changed since you know, the time that you were there and I guess, do you have a, a sort of current synopsis of the, the state of the program for us? So this is what I'll say. I'm not there right now, so I don't really know what's going on. I know that there are a lot of transitions and there are a lot of changes. I'm not really even sure if I know anybody personally on the team anymore because it's been that long since I played. Maybe like, it's been like, what, four, four seasons now? Five seasons? Yeah, five seasons. So, I mean, I think that they are, I think that they're going to be all right. I think that right now, obviously, I, we, in the past couple of years, I think we would have liked to see them build a lot more, but I think that things take time. If you speak to some people that I played with, I think a lot of us are under the impression that, you know, when we played, we didn't have as many resources or recruits, um, I think, at the caliber that they do now, if I'm being honest. And I also think that, if I'm being frank, our, our, our strength of schedule was a bit more difficult than what it's been in the past couple of years from UMass. Um, I mean, I, I, I think I can name like 10 powerhouse schools that I played. And just like how you said, I mean, we definitely played a lot of these schools competitively. South Carolina, we lost by a touchdown at the last second. I'll never forget that until I die. You know, just things like that. I, I'll tell you one thing. We weren't always good for the money line, but we will always cover the spread, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, like always cover the spread. Like probably had the best like ATS record that season of any team in college football. Do do teams know that? Like like when you're playing on the team, obviously it was a little less mainstream when you were in college than it is now. But like, mm-hmm. do players know like what the spread of a game is or what the t- the over under of a game is, or is mm-hmm. it sort of just an afterthought? That that world doesn't even exist, and it's actually so funny. I didn't even like 
get into or learn about like um you know sports betting and things like that until like legitimately i finished playing sports you know like just what did not know about that like but i did i did like i mean i think that you know when you're the underdog but like you don't know that it's just like oh umass is like plus 700 against florida or something like that like you know you don't know about things like that you just know that Okay, well, it's Florida. There's a hundred thousand people here. They're an SEC school. They're like a story program. They're we're we're definitely not supposed to win this game, but yet <laughs> at halftime it's seven to ten, and it's supposed to be like the first half spread is probably like minus twenty eight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like I like I said, I didn't know about any of that shit until I until I stopped playing ball. Because um, if I did, I would have bet on us every single time. Are you kidding yeah. me? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding? Um, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> That's really funny. Okay, a couple a couple more questions for you, Peter. This has been a ton of fun. So thanks for for answering some of this. Obviously, um, last weekend, you know, my UConn Huskies unfortunately lost in Amherst. It was UMass's first win since two thousand and nineteen. At the Dirty Gurk. At the, at the dirty girl, at the dirty girl, the girl, the dirty girl. After the game, um, Matt Brown, who has a newsletter and and puts it out every every week on Twitter, interviewed um, UMass AD Ryan Bamford, and he mentioned that UConn and UMass have a ten year scheduling agreement in uh, pencil. Do you think it's going to be good to have another sort of similar? program that's independent close by to UMass that you know we play on an annual basis like do you think that's a helpful thing for UMass as an independent oh absolutely absolutely and I and I think that at the end of the day UMass and UConn um, have the advantages of being flagship schools for their state um, and I think I think that that's something that comes with a little bit of respect no matter what um, the caliber of your program is you know, like, I, I think I respect, like, every state school, University of Maryland, University of Florida, you know, you know what I mean? Like, every state school, I think. Yeah, University of, that that really matters. It, it does. It does. I think so. And I, I mean, you know, when, when so I, I never played UConn, but I played BC, like, three times, you know? And, 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 and that was a big deal every single time. You know, obviously, they're in the ACC, and they're supposed to crush us every time we play them, and it's in the third, but it's just like. I think that a lot of that shit goes out the window when it's just like a big rivalry game like that. And I think that when it's so personal, it really brings the best out of both sides. So I think that, you know, the 10 year contract that they're talking about having on paper, I think that that'll be really fruitful um, for the future in the state of football in New England in general. I, I would agree. And, and that's sort of brings me to my last point. Just what, do you have any general thoughts? Do you still follow the the team and watch the games on on TV? Do you have any general thoughts on what you'd like to see from them from the rest of the year, or even you know as they go forward? Yeah, I mean, I well, listen. I'll be honest with you. I, I we and we were talking about this a little bit the other day. Saturday when um the game was going on, I was in the gym. I was keeping up with it on my phone, but like it wasn't like on ESPN or anything, so it wasn't that easy to follow. But when I saw the highlights or the final score get posted on ESPN, I literally dropped the weights that I was lifting and took my phone out and had to take a picture. I was like, no way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and that, that made me really happy. And, um, you know, I, I won't lie. I'll be completely honest. I didn't think we were going to win that game. I didn't think we were going to win that game. And, and it's, it's so funny all season, people have been hitting me up. UMass fucking sucks, and this, then the third, and whatever. And I'm just like, listen, man, like, uh, unless you played or you were there, like, you just don't know. It's not that easy, man. It is not that easy. But 
you know, it, it was it felt really good to watch that. And I think that it would be nice to see them continue that momentum. And I mean, I, I you know what I, I I'm actually choking on some of my words now because I think earlier I definitely said and I stand by this still, but about strength of schedule compared to when I was there versus now. I, I think that the rest of the season, like they have Florida State as their next game. I think they're off this week coming up and then they have Florida State obviously at Florida State next week. That's going to be tough. I don't think Florida State's really that good of a team this year. Um, you know, everybody can say, yeah, it's UMass. But, I mean, I think that winning is contagious it, the same way that losing is. Um, and I think that, you know, once, you know, you get a, a first win like that and you know what it takes to get a win. Like, I bet they had a great week in practice leading up to the UConn game. You know what I mean? Like, those kind of things matter. So, I think that if they can build on that and replicate that and, and, and just keep doing what they did, whatever it is that they had to do to win the UConn game, if they can try to do that, they'll have a chance at Florida State for sure. So we'd like to see them um, keep going for the rest of the season. Yeah, I would totally agree. And I love your statement about winning being contagious because I totally agree. And, you know, it's so hard to get the tide turned or get the boat turned. But once you get that first win and you taste that, you know, first bit of, of, of winning or the ch- culture changing, then it, it all of a sudden it, it's like the rock rolling down the hill, right? It starts to yeah. get and do all that stuff. So I totally agree. Man, man, you know, I, and I just want to add something to that. I just think it's so funny, right? Because, you know, going back to like a little bit of my origin, like my recruiting process, some of the schools that I got offers from coming out are, are schools that are like, you wouldn't even have thought that they would be or be where they are today. And I think that those schools are the schools, like I kind of thought that UMass was going to have that story by the time that everything was said and done at least. And, you know, like I said, they have the benefit of being a state school and they'll always have those resources. And I think that like, that will always be a project that somebody will try to fix. Um, but, you know, like, I, I had an offer from Coastal Carolina when I came out of school and and I was like at the time, right, this was right before they went 1A. At the time, they were still double A, but they said, oh, we're about to be 1A and it's on the third. And I was like, OK, yeah, but like, you know, and then it's just like, yeah, right. And then like academically, too, it's just like, I don't know, you know. But um, listen, if I had known what I know now, and I'm, I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. Dude, I can't. Let, me, let me push on that a little bit before we, before we hang up here. So um, yeah. you mentioned Coastal Carolina and Ohio and Western Michigan, in addition to UMass. Were there any other schools that you had offers from that you would want to touch on? Yeah, so two big schools that I definitely left out, um, probably bigger than any of the schools I actually mentioned. I had an offer from Cincinnati. Oh, really? Yeah, I did. I had an offer from Cincinnati and I was super excited about it. Like, I think that if everything would have played out correctly, I probably would have gone there. Um, But coaching carousel in the offseason, you know, things happen. People get opportunities and things change. Um, The the coaching staff that was at Cincinnati, the guy that gave me the offer, he went to Tennessee. You know, maybe I was good enough to at the time play at Cincinnati, but maybe not Tennessee. So it's not like he could bring the offer with me. And um, I think that the new coaching staff at Cincinnati, maybe they already had their kids that they were recruiting at other places that they liked. So, you know, you know how that goes. And uh, that just kind of never panned out. But it's funny because it's like I had an offer already and I should have just committed to it when it happened. But and then um, the night before I was I'm talking about like 11 o'clock, literally, like in the 11th hour, like um the night I was supposed to, before I was supposed to sign at UMass, like literally physically sign and fax it to school, um, I forgot I forgot his name at the time, but the head coach at the time, this is in 20, 
12 of Wake Forest gave me a phone call, said, hey, this is so-and-so from Wake Forest. We got your film. We love you. We want you to, you know, come down here and take a visit. We want to give you an offer. Like, we, you know, we think you're great. And it's then the third. And my mind was going nuts. I was like, yo, I'm getting an offer from an ACC school? Like, I'm a Power 5 kid? Like, I... I mean, I, I always thought I was good, but like, you know, politics are politics and I just didn't think it would happen. I, you know, ultimately, I think that, I don't know, maybe I was naive at the time, but I'm still happy about my decision. Um, you know, Wake Forest, obviously, academically is an amazing school. Um, I just think that for me, from a football standpoint, I think maybe I had better opportunities to play earlier at UMass and I was 17 and greedy and I had a huge ego and I wanted to get on the field as fast as possible, you know, and all this kind of thing. So I, and I also kind of felt like an afterthought when Wake Forest came, like I said, um, the night before signing day. Um, so I just was like, yeah, maybe I'll go there and it'll be cool. But like, do they even really want me for real? Or am I just like, yeah. you know? So. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. I, I, I appreciate you sharing that. It's, you know, as somebody that's a, a observer of the sport, if you will, it's always fascinating to hear those sort of behind the scenes stories. So I appreciate you giving us some some insight. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Peter, listen, this has been a ton of fun. I really appreciate you sharing your background and you know talking about your your high school playing days and the recruitment process and UMass and just the whole thing. So thanks for for taking the time and and really appreciate you doing this. And hopefully you'll join us again soon. Hey, no problem, man. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Wow. What an awesome interview with Peter. And I really appreciated him taking the time to come on the show. It was great getting his background and realizing that he didn't even start playing organized football until the ninth grade. Originally growing up and participating in mixed martial arts and how that may have actually helped him as he became a better football player. Additionally, it was really interesting to hear him talk about the recruiting process and walk through the different schools that gave him the opportunities to play there and you know, ultimately what decided on letting him go to UMass. It sounds like Peter had a multitude of different offers and a multitude of different paths he could have taken and the path that he chose in Amherst wound up working out great for him. I was a little upset watching this past weekend as his UMass Minutemen took down my UConn Huskies. You know, it's been a really tough year for the Huskies. Uh, coming in at 0-6 to the game, unfortunately, UMass took us down by two scores and the Huskies fell to 0-7. We take on Yale this weekend, and honestly, I don't know what I will do if we lose to Yale. We have to win that game. That is a state bragging rights game. You can't lose to Yale if you're the University of Connecticut, a non-scholarship FCS Ivy League team. I saw the SP Plus predictions for that game today, and Bill Connolly had the Bulldogs winning that game by almost 10 points. I mean, I just can't even imagine what will happen if that's the case. Hopefully the Huskies come out and put their best foot forward and have one of their best games in the season that results in a win. I also want to give a shout out to Pete Thamble, who I thought wrote a really interesting article on UConn this past week, talking about what will go into the coaching search and getting some great quotes from Governor Ned Lamont, as well as UConn Athletics Director David Benedict. I think the biggest thing that I was happy to see was that David Benedict confirmed that, you know, the pool for assistant coaches could be raised from its existing approximately 1.4 million to an even bigger amount. And not just for the assistants, but also the head coaching budget could increase to over $2 million as well. I know when you look at some power five type jobs, you know, the $2 million mark doesn't seem like a lot, but when you start to look around at some of the coaches that are coaching in FBS football, you realize $2 million could attract a lot of really good names. And 
even coaches like Will Healy at Charlotte and Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina, those are guys that are making less than a million dollars a year right now coaching their football teams. UConn has, as outlined in the article, some of the best, I want to repeat that, some of the best facilities outside of the Power Five. They are truly elite. And honestly, as Pete Thamel mentioned in his article, they would fit in in the Big Ten or the ACC. I think this UConn job is criminally underrated in my opinion. The state values winning sports and values a winner. The school has a national brand that was built on basketball but could evolve into much more than that. And UConn has a linear television deal to put all of their home games on linear television with CBS Sports Network through 2024. This has led to some great home-on-home series coming up, including games against Ole Miss, North Carolina, Wake Forest, Syracuse, Temple, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, and more. Honestly, I really appreciated the look that Pete Thamel gave us into the program and sort of the mindset behind the coaching search. And I'm really excited to see which candidates emerge and who UConn ultimately hires after the season ends. I think this is a critical hire for athletic director Dave Benedict. And quite frankly, when you look back on the coaches he's hired, he's done a great job so far. And I think he's got a chance to nail it and put UConn in a position to be successful for a long time coming. Independence isn't easy, but when David Benedict said they could model themselves after BYU and have a national brand and a national following in that regard, I sort of agree. Obviously, everybody won't be Notre Dame, but the Huskies have their own TV deal, have great schedules coming up in the future, have a brand built on the success of their men's and women's basketball teams in addition to their other athletic programs, and are willing to spend money to compete in football. If you're willing to do that over the course of time, Things will change, the tides will turn, and you will be successful. Well, that's it for another great week here on Rent Free. I appreciate you taking the time to listen and look forward to having my next guest on next week. Until then, stay safe, and thanks for listening.